0: Thank you for listening to the Faith Bible Church podcast. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit us at faithbiblemd.org. I invite you to take your copy of the Word of God, turn to Hebrews chapter seven. Hebrews chapter seven. We'll continue our study through the Book of Hebrews and finish up chapter seven. I know we did uh, verses eighteen and nineteen last week, but let's. Start our reading there for the sake of context. Hebrews 7, verse 18. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of the former commandments because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath, For they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So much more, also Jesus became the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priest on the one hand existed in greater number because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it is fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Good song choice, Mr. LaGioia. That one fit right there. Who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appointed men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect Forever. All right, that's a very nuanced, intricate discussion. Jai's jumping in in the middle of a, uh, a conversation like that. What is going on? Let's see if we can pull back, get the big picture, and then zoom in and learn the specifics today. I remember the first time I watched Lord of the Rings. The Fellowship of the Rings. It came out in 2001. I rented the DVD back when you did that sort of thing. Rented a DVD. And sometimes early 2000. Heard a lot of people talking about it. So I said, well, you know, let's see what this is all about. I never read J.R.R. Tolkien books. So I'll just admit that. This was a whole new world to me. Three hours later, when the movie was done, (laughs) I was quite annoyed because... Yes, the movie had ended, but the story had not. I'd watched three hours of weird characters running around, getting nowheres, just like the, the, bad guys, the good guys were losing, the bad guys were winning. I was lost on who was who, and there was no conclusion. And now I gotta wait a whole year to see how this all plays out. When the sequel came out, I watched Two Towers. My opinion about the movie changed. Ooh, now I love this. I understand better who's who, elves, dwarves, orcs, hoblins, goblins, trolls, the different kingdoms of men, and walking trees. Oh, that was new. In the end, the heroes were winning. The story wasn't over. There was another whole movie yet to come, but now I was really into it and I wanted to see that final movie. I even went back and rewatched The Fellowship of the Rings and it made a lot more sense now, second time around. I have to say, I think the whole thing was a very awesome series. So this year, Amazon Prime Video released a new series called Rings of Power, it's more stories Coming from the world of J.R.R. Tolkien, we watched season one. And I really felt like I was understanding what was going on in this make-believe world because I remember The Lord of the Rings. And then, of course, I watched all the Hobbit series. So it was all very familiar to me. But if I hadn't seen any of those movies, I once again, with this Rings of Power thing that Amazon put out, I would have been lost. Because it's an entire world with all these Races of people and storylines that just cover hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It's it's very complex, but that is, after all, the brilliance of Tolkien. Like, you know, another good example would be Star Wars. It's very similar. An entire universe, long ago, far away, the movies tell stories that are all intertwined, one with another, and there's no way to explain all the stories briefly, can't just summarize them quick, right? Because they're also very complex. It's not that they're hard to understand, it's just they're long and elaborate. And actually, that's part of the fun, right? If you who likes those kind of movies, right? If you like those kind of movies, lots of you, right? You like the complexities of the worlds and the timelines that they're covering and how the action in one generation impacts the story in the future generations. Now, in the real world, we actually have the exact same thing going on, but we just don't think that much about it. We live our lives in the here and now, but we don't even understand that there is this grand plot, this elaborate, complex, multi-generational, multi-dimensional story unfolding being played out in front of our very eyes. Well, how could you even know unless you knew the backstory? There, there would have to be some historical record telling you what's happened, and there would have to be some foretelling of what's going to happen in order for you to even recognize, oh, wow, there, there is a reason and an order and an actual preordained destiny taking place, and you and I are literally characters in this cosmic play. As Shakespeare wrote, All the world is a stage, and all the men and women are mere. Players, they have their exits and their entrances. One man in his time plays many parts. Ooh. Pastor Rob starting off real trippy this morning. What is he talking about? I'm talking about what I've been explaining and elaborating on for the last 15 years. This right here. What is it? It's the Bible, right? But what is it? It's... 66 books written by 40 different authors over a span of 1500 years. These human authors were inspired by God to tell us the grand plot, the elaborate, complex, multi-generation, multi-dimensional story. The Bible gives us both the historical record telling you what happened, and it also foretells what's going to happen. So a lot like You know, as an analogy, Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, it's very complex, but unlike them, it's not fiction. This is what is going on, what is, will be going on, and what has happened. What has happened, what is going on, and what will be going on, and if you take the time to learn it, you will recognize, there's a there's a reason and an order and an actual preordained destiny taking place, and you and I are literally characters in this cosmic play. So what I'm attempting to do is open up your eyes and explain to you all that is going on in the grand scheme of God, the plans of God, and in doing so, you would be better to understand who you are and what role you're supposed to be playing. Now, it is impossible, I say impossible, for me to explain it all to you in the 35 minutes that we allot for a sermon. There's too much to explain, so often we just touch on the highlights. A sermon is kind of like a movie trailer, I would say. We flash a segment of this scene, and then we flash a segment of that scene, and we hope that will pique your interest enough to inspire you to grab hold of it and say, well, this is God's Word. It's telling me uh, what He's doing and where humanity's heading. Uh, I I, I need to put some time and effort into this. I, I, I might have to show up to church more than just... Christmas and Easter, you know, because Christmas and Easter are two of the big scenes we flash in the trailer, but there's a whole lot more than just those two events, eh? There's a lot in here. Pastor Rob has only been able to teach through 11 of the 66 books in the last 15 years. And who's been here for all 15? Some of you have been here, so, like, very few, Like There's only five hands that went up, so the rest of you, you missed a whole lot of stuff, so... We should start over. No, I've, I've only gotten through 11 in 15 years. Do the math. At this rate, I'm going to need another 75 years to get through the entire Bible. Ooh, I don't think that guy's going to last that long. I, I think you're right. I don't think I got 75 years left in me. There are 11 other books I have preached in my previous churches in Canada. So in 30 years of ministry, I've only been able to get through 22 books of the Bible. What does that tell you? It tells you that you're going to have to make an effort to learn some of this on your own. So, this study of Hebrews, admittedly so, has been quite elaborate. And I keep jumping back to a lot of Old Testament references in order to explain the point the author's trying to make to his audience in Hebrews. Because the author is talking about 2,000 years of Israelite history. That's what I've been trying to break down to you and explain to you every time I get up here. We're talking about 2,000 years of Israelite history that began 4,000 years ago. And yet, I keep proposing to you, it's absolutely impactful for what's going on in your life in 2022. It's multi-generational, multi-dimensional story, and I'm sorry, there's no 15-second TikTok version. It's not that the Bible's hard to understand, it's just there's a lot And some of it's really wild because of the supernatural elements that come from the people interacting with the multidimensional beings. It requires us to have a level of commitment and concentration in order to understand God's word. But we have a problem. Many people can't concentrate long enough to get through the whole story. And this is exactly what's happened here in the book of Hebrews. The people have lost the plot. They were like me, watching the Lord of the Rings first movie. They watched it and they got very confused with what was going on. They think they understand the plans of God. They think they figured out the whole story, but they've only seen the first movie. And after that, they stopped paying attention. The other movie has come out, but they're not watching it. Or they're just not really concentrating when they're watching it. So they're confused. The author's trying to bring them up to speed on the second movie, and he's also trying to help them understand the first movie, which they've completely misinterpreted. So the first movie is The Law of God, starring the priesthood of Aaron. They've seen it, they've watched the scenes, don't really know what it means, and how it's showing them the plans of God. The second movie that came out is Jesus Christ dying, buried, and rising again. What does that mean? How is the Messiah dying? Part of God's plan. God's plan is to bring you and I near to himself. Near to him means being part of the family of God, being an heir to a heavenly kingdom. Think about that. How would you like to have an inheritance in an eternal kingdom of God? Some of you out there, you're watching your retirement portfolios tank because of recession and the jacked up economy. Maybe it's making you frustrated. Guess what? I got some good news for you. God is offering you an eternal inheritance that never fades away. That's what Jesus said. Doesn't that sound cool? I think drawing near to God might interest us today. Let's read a little more and get into it then. Chapter 7, verse 18, for on the one hand, there is a setting aside of the former commandments because their weakness and uselessness, the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is bringing in of a better hope through which we what? Draw near to God. So last week we covered how Jesus in his position of high priest is making a way for us to draw near to God. It's not just he who goes into the presence of God. He is the forerunner making a way for all of us to draw near. We see this back in chapter 6, verse 20. Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So until Jesus there was no way for us to draw near to God. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin is what causes all the pain and misery there is in life. Our sin causes all the sickness and death. And since we were born with the sin, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves from it. Only God can save us from our sin. Only God can save us from death. And when sin entered the world 6,000 years ago, God devised a plan And he began revealing the plan to mankind. So, 4,000 years ago, he gave the broad outline of the plan to Abraham and promised. He, what did he do? Talked about it, swore an oath. He swore an oath. He made a deal with Abraham. Through your family will come a blessing for all generations, for all nations. Since then, people were watching and waiting for that promised blessing. And as the different authors are given the revelations from God, we learn more details. The blessing is going to come in the form of a Messiah. The Messiah is a righteous king of Israel who would rule the world in justice and in truth. But we also learn that a, through the through the revelations, we also learn that a sacrifice for sin has to be made. Why? Well, we don't really understand holiness. We can't grasp the separation there is between us and a holy God. We're kind of confused about the extent of our sin. But we do understand when people sin against us, If someone lied to you or stole from you or did something to hurt you or abuse you, then we know how offensive sin is. Someone lied to you and got you fired from your job. Someone lit your property on fire. If someone murdered your loved ones, oh yeah, the hurt and the pain they cause you, you understand sin. And you understand why you'd never want to be around that person who did those things. That that level of disrespect hurts you just to be in their general vicinity. That Their unrepentant presence offends you. And, and you'll never really be able to let it go. It'll always be in the back of your mind. And that's what it's like for God with all of us. All of humanity is offending him with all of the hurt and pain we do against one another. All the ways we defile ourselves and his creation, all of our selfishness and disobedience, cruelty and neglect, perversion and greed, all of it, first and foremost, is done as a violation of his commandments. Started with Adam, right at the very beginning, they gave him one rule and he broke it. And then the very next chapter, you got The sons, Cain's killing his brother Abel. Talk about domestic abuse, right? Right there, opening chapter Genesis, we got domestic abuse going on. Sin just doesn't stop; it just keeps going, and there's so much of it, and we're so immersed in all of it that people can't even figure out what does God want, what is sin. God has a plan to save us, but He needs us to understand what exactly we need saving from. So He gives. Moses, the law, and the law spells out in details what sin is. And the law also spells out how the priest will make an animal sacrifice to illustrate to the people that there are results to sin, that sin has consequences. They are guilty. And they are sentenced to death, but their death could be postponed. It could be delayed. The wrath of God can be appeased if an animal is killed in their place because that animal, that sheep, is representing something. It's representing the death that is coming that will really pay the price for all sin. That sheep is symbolic of the plan, the oath. It's symbolic of the deal that God has made with mankind. God gives instructions to Moses in his laws for his priesthood, this elaborate religious system that would represent, would be symbolic of this coming plan of God. The priesthood of Aaron, which is the first movie in this trilogy, is not the real priesthood. They're just Actors who are acting out the plan so the people could learn about sin and death and their need of salvation. And that a high priest would come and one day he would fulfill the oath. Again, verse number 18, setting aside the former commandments because of their weakness and their uselessness. That's what the law is. It made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, we got the bringing in of a better hope where we can draw near to God. So the author says the law, the priesthood of Aaron, is weak and useless. It makes nothing perfect because it wasn't really doing anything except it's acting out what's going to happen. Does that make sense? You know when we watch a biographical movie, we're watching actors depict something that happened back in history. Probably my all-time favorite biographical movie is Braveheart came out in 1995. I know it's a really old movie. And a lot of the young people didn't watch that. It's a really cool movie. Mel Gibson is playing William Wallace of the Wallace clan. And um, William Wallace is actually from 1297 A.D., so a long time ago. Mel Gibson is not really William Wallace. He, he's just playing the part for the story. That's what Aaron's priesthood is. It's not... The real priesthood, it's playing the part, telling the story of what the real high priest is going to do. The real high priest has the real deal from God, has the oath. Aaron's priesthood did not have the oath. Verse number 20, and inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath to the one who said, the Lord has sworn he will not change his mind, you are a priest forever so much more Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant Jesus has the oath Jesus has the deal and if I only could I make a deal with God and I get him to swap our places be running up that road be running up that hill with no problems I'm sure you've heard that song a lot this year It was actually written back in 1985 before Braveheart. It's that much older. took 35 years for it to finally get to the top of the charts. It was used in the latest season of Stranger Things. Some of you know that. Some of you don't even know what what I did there and you're lost. It's okay. Sorry. But that lyric, if I only could make a deal with God and get him to swap our places, that is exactly the deal God made with Abraham in the oath. It's the deal that Jesus made for all of us. It's what the sheep getting its throat slit and bleeding to death symbolized. Jesus swapped our places. We were supposed to die for our sins, but instead of you and me, he died in our place. And if we trust in him, if we believe in him, then we are on that narrow road that leads to everlasting life, running up that road, running up that hill to the kingdom of God, we draw near to God with no problems. This is the covenant, the plan, the deal God made with us. And much more, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Your Bible is broken up into two parts. You have the Old Testament, Old Testament is Covenants, and then you have the New Testament, which means New Covenants. But they don't contradict each other. No, they harmonize. The Old Testament develops the plot and the action that is played out in the New Testament. But if you only watch the Old, you're never gonna learn how the plan unfolds and the rest of the story. See, that was for the old people. They didn't get the they didn't get the previous reference. Who got the old one? Thank you. Yes, that was, that was for you. See, a little bit of something for everybody today. Verse 23, 24. The former priest, on the one hand, existed in greater number because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Former priests are just actors. Some of them were bad actors. They were just playing out the parts and uh, they couldn't save anybody from death, because what does he say? Why couldn't they save anybody from death? Because they die too. They died also. So every few years they have to. Oh, a priest died. We got to anoint a new priest, and got to find another actor to play the part of mediator. But with Jesus, on the other hand, the author says he never stops being the mediator, because since he rose again from the dead, he never dies and he holds that priesthood permanently, which means what for us? Verse 25, Therefore, he is able to save us forever who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. When you draw near to God through Jesus, you are saved forever, and he's always living to make intercession for us. So the option here is, stick with the, useless, weak, priesthood of Aaron, where your high priest is dying every few years. And actually by this time in the history with the with the uh, the Hebrews, th- it wasn't even they were dying. Uh, at this point, the Roman empire and their puppet king Herod would just pick and choose high priests for the nation based on who Rome wanted in there. So they would just, you know, can somebody. You're dismissed, high priest. We got a new guy who's gonna do what we want. And uh, then we're going to appoint him in there. So the law of Moses isn't even being followed now pertaining to the anointing of the high priest. It's just a political appointment by your ruling overlords. The laws of God were being violated even in putting the guy in there. How would you feel about that is your religious system? Really illustrates how broken it is. Why would you want to believe in that? Meanwhile, in verse 24, Jesus, because he continues forever, holds the priesthood permanently. Doesn't that sound like a better priesthood? Doesn't that sound more like a a deal that an eternal God would make, something God's oath would uphold? And once again, with Jesus, we draw near to God, he says here. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God. That's two times now he has said that statement in this section. Always living to make intercession. As long as he lives, he makes intercession. And why is that important? He's always making intercession. Well, for me, it's important because I haven't managed to live perfect yet. I I just, I don't know about you, but I just keep doing things wrong. And there's always something the devil can come to God with and say, did you see what McNutt did? Did you hear what he said? What is is that guy thinking? See what he's thinking? What a sinner. He deserves death. And that is true. But there's Jesus. Let's let's cheat. Go to verse 8, chapter 8, verse 1, real quick. I just cheat. We won't do anything here. Just making this point. The main point in what was being said is this We have a high priest who's taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God and majesty in the heavens. There's Jesus. Where is he? The right hand of God, always. And what's he doing? Making intercession. The devil comes, he deserves death. And Jesus is like, uh-uh, uh uh." And that's really a blessing, isn't it? Do you need perpetual intercession? I do. And here's another way Jesus' priesthood is, is better. One more. Verse 26. It was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. So look at all the descriptions in verse 26 that equal the same thing. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners. Basically, the author just gutted his thesaurus and grabbed a bunch of synonyms, threw them in there. Incidentally, that description is also how God is described. So technically, this passage proves the deity of Jesus, the godhood of Jesus. That's not the point the author's making. The point he's stressing is, verse 27, he doesn't need daily like the other high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people because he did once for all when he offered up himself. Unlike those high priests, they have to keep offering up sacrifices first for who? Their own sins. And then for Tim Tucker's sins. That's a lot. You know, it's mine alone and then yours too. That's piling on, isn't it? Jesus doesn't have to offer up sacrifices for his own sins. Why? Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners. Jesus is sinless. So which is a better high priest? The one who is sinning and in danger of being struck dead for his own sins—imagine that, because that's what went on, eh? Like the high priest, he's going in—you know, got the blood. He's going into the holy of holies. Well, he's not spelling it. you know not allowed to spell it, right? And he has to go in there to the uh, the the, uh, the covenant, right? The whole—I forget the name. Just left me. Ark of the covenant. Thank you. I had covenant, didn't get ark. He's right there, the mercy seat, and he's got to present the sacrifice, and uh, everyone's outside. Waiting, he's got some little bells on his his thing, so he's moving around. And all of a sudden, nothing. I can hear the H back, but I can't hear anything else, right? It's like nothing. It's quiet. Time ticks on. I don't think he's moving. Maybe he's dead. Fortunately, we tied a rope to his leg. We can pull him out. This is going to be awkward if he's still alive when we start pulling on this rope. <laughs> we better wait. Nothing. Okay, let's pull him. Dragging him out. Ooh, he kicked the bucket. Dead as a doornail. Do you think God accepted the people's sacrifice for sin when their high priest couldn't fill the job for his own sins? Because that was the thing. He could have got struck down while he's in there because of his own sins and defilement. Which is better, the sitting high priest or the holy, innocent, undefiled high priest forever from the order of Melchizedek? I think Jesus is better. And like Jesus, who is forever, his sacrifice is what does he say? Once for all, remember that old hymn? Once for all, O sinner, receive it. Once for all, O brother, believe it. Once for all. And uh, you think about that. He, he, in the old system, the sheep, sheeps, because it wasn't one sheep, every, every year, sheep, another sheep, got to keep killing sheep, got to keep sacrificing them. But in the new covenant, no more of that. it save you a lot of livestock, isn't it? And think about what all means. All means completely, entirely, all reaches back to all that was done in the past and then all gets all of us here and then all reaches to all sins that you're thinking about Javon doing this afternoon. No, it it reaches to all things we're going to do in the future, right? All is, is all. And Adam's sin, Abraham's sin, David's sin, my sin, your sin, and the sins we'll commit tomorrow. When the eternal Son of God died, His sacrifice like Him is eternal. And it's for all time and all of eternity. And that's the oath. That's the deal God made with us. Verse 28, the law appointed men as high priests who were weak, the word of the oath which came after the law, appoints the Son, made perfect forever. So which do you think is better, the law or the oath? So Jesus is offering you a deal with God to swap places. You going to take it? I think you should. After all, this is only the second movie in the trilogy, the third movie in the trilogy. You know what it's called? Return of the king. Right? And it's all about the return and the kingdom that will be established, and you are offered a place in it. And we all have this part to play in this one now, preparing the way for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are told to make ready. And how we make ready is we tell people all about this so that they can know and they can believe in Jesus. And we want each and every one of you to know the deal that God has made with us and that you would believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, help us to know the deal and accept the deal and believe in you. There's so much in here. It's so complex and yet it's so simple. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We want everyone to be ready for you, Jesus, to be ready for that kingdom. Help us to understand and help us to prepare the way for our coming King, to reach people with that message. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.